the Neolithic era, the New Stone Age, the period of time where humans transitioned from hunting and gathering to agricultural settlements society, this is one of the biggest turning points in human history. The fact that thousands and hundreds of thousands of years passed by even millions of human ancestors, Australopithecus, the Homo erectus, to the Neanderthals, and then the Homo sapiens, we finally get to see the Neolithic revolution occur, and a change from hunting and gathering for millions and thousands of years. And this is so important because these settlements and these small settlements and societies created from the Neolithic revolution causes the foundation of modern society to emerge from period one ending off with the Neolithic era with a bang, we are going to see bigger civilizations begin to emerge, as well as the classical empires. So the Neolithic revolution was responsible for this foundation of modern and classical society that we know and study today in world history. And this was enabled the entire Neolithic Revolution was enabled after the end of the last ice age in the Neolithic era, as we see that global temperature and rainfall increased, allowing for more stable climate conditions, which were much better for farming. Now in society, with gender relations in agriculture, men captured animals and domesticated them, while also supervising the breeding of animals. Women nurtured plants instead of collecting the available foods in the wild, such as nuts and berries. And finally, we get to the independent inventions of agriculture. Both the cultivation of crops and the domestication of animals emerge independently in different parts of the world, and both the cultivation of crops and the domestication of animals are included in agriculture. And when I find the the most fascinating is that agriculture develops independently in different parts of the world. Uh, this is very different from what we are accustomed to as we know that most ideas spread at an origin point and they move to the nearest place or region or person that picks up that idea and so forth. But the fact that agriculture, such an important building block in civilization and human society itself, begins to really emerge at different times and independently is such a beautiful, beautiful fact that just seeks to amaze me whenever I think about this. Then we get to see agriculture spread rapidly. This is mainly due to the methods of early cultivators, such as slash and burn agriculture, as well as merchants and migrants carrying the knowledge of food to the agricultural lands that pre previously relied on different crops. Neolithic society was forever changed and different from Paleolithic society and all the societies before. It caused a drastic social and cultural change that transformed human history forever. 
a drastic population increase was seen, a almost exponential growth in human history is seen, not yet, but a drastic population increase was seen. We're going to see another drastic population increase at an exponential rate later in human history. And there are actually many graphs and charts to show this, but we this is the beginning of a more sudden population increase in human society because of food surplus enabling that population growth. There was new social organization and towns began to emerge, such as Jericho, one of the oldest towns discovered in the Middle East. And next we get to another very important concept in world history, the specialization of labor where more people in villages encouraged the specialization of labor, where the surplus of food enabled some individuals to put their time and talent in their own interests not related with food production. And this is so different and so quite distinct from past civilizations. Not just civilizations, but the societies of the past itself that we have discussed because they were so fixated on putting and getting food, putting food on the plate, but there was no plate at the time. So we're going to say getting food for the family, getting food for the household, getting food for the band, making sure that everyone was eating food. It was a very food fixated society. And even though we might see some examples of cave art and so forth, these cave paintings were not really in the industry. And the fact that food surplus enabled the specialization of labor allowed for free craft industries to emerge. Pottery, metallurgy, and textile production. Paleolithic people had no use for pots. They did not store food for long periods of time, but Neolithic people needed containers to store food. And what better to store food with pots? This is why pottery is such an important early craft industry. Food storage is one of the most important, if probably the most important thing and aspect of Neolithic society. It's what keeps the society going. What keeps society going still is food production. We all need food. Every single human relies on food. And we must get this food some way, and we must find ways to store it. Next, we have metalworking. Early metal copper led to the technological foundation. And Neolithic craftsmen developed an expertise of gold, bronze, and iron. And this knowledge, this select knowledge, is going to increase our knowledge in metalworking and metallurgy. And it's going to contribute to the iron and bronze age, where bronze tools are made, where iron tools are made, and easier technological production and increase efficiency of tools and products for human civilization. Finally, we get to the last craft industry in Neolithic society, textile production. It is assumed that textile production was probably the work of women during the Neolithic society. Selective breeding was used for textile production, 
and they experimented by breeding strains of plants and animals that provided lustrous and easily worked fibers. I really want to highlight that selective breeding was used here. This fact just fascinates me. The fact that these humans are already using genetics into their industry is such a very cool moment in human history as well we could know that selective breeding is still used to this day but the fact that these humans knew about what plants and animals had the best fibers for textile production and start breeding them at such an early time in human history is very very cool to talk about and to discuss now we will delve into the crops and animals of Neolithic settlements. In Mesoamerica, we see the primary food crops being maize, corn, beans, peppers, squashes, and tomatoes. And in Andean South America, we see the food crops being potatoes, sweet potatoes, with free domesticated animals, llamas, alpacas, and guinea pigs. Llamas and alpacas are going to be later used by several sovereign American civilizations. And the guinea pig is actually going to be a part of some religion and religious rituals we get to see later in South American history. The Amazon River Valley. Its food crops included maniac, sweet potatoes, and peanuts. West Africa food crops include yams, okra, and black-eyed peas. Sudanic Africa's food crops have sorghum, and its domesticated animals include cattle, sheep, and goats. Southwest Asia, or the Middle East, included food crops such as wheat and barley, which are going to be seen be cultivated inside Mesopotamia and all of the Persian Empire as well. A very, very important crop, and the birth of agriculture is seen in Mesopotamia, and usually accredited towards the Mesopotamian civilization, as it is arguably one of the first civ most prominent civilizations to emerge. And the domesticated animals of Southwest Asia include sheep, goats, pigs, and cattle. Now we're, we move on to East Asia, where the food crops include rice and soybeans, and the domesticated animals include pig, water buffaloes, and chickens. Southeast Asia, we see the food crops include taro, yams, coconut, breadfruit, bananas, and citrus fruits, which is quite different from the previous food crops we have listed. Now, social distinctions and social inequality are all aspects of Neolithic society. The amount of people, its permanent settlements, and specialization of labor allowed for the opportunity for individuals to accumulate wealth. And when the individuals could trade surplus food or manufactured items for valuable items, gems and jewels, there's going to be more social inequality that arises because humans value items at different value. It's not just everything's going to be the same value. People don't value diamonds as the same as much as a as a bushel of wheat per se, and we are going to see wealth start to emerge and, well, a social pyramid to arise soon with the specialization of labor.
Next, we see the institutionalization of private property. Land was the ultimate source of wealth in any agricultural society, and successful individuals consolidated wealth in families' hands and where they kept it for multiple generations, which led to clearly defined social classes emerging. Neolithic culture and religion, where we get to see that agricultural agriculture left a very important mark on the cultural part of the human experience. This was because people's lives depend on the successful cultivation of crops. Neolithic farmers observed the world around them and saw the conditions that produce successful harvests. When they noticed the seasons changed, they gained knowledge on the relationships of time and weather, which led to the formation of calendars, a very, very important development in technology and in agriculture, in agricultural technology and technology for the rest of the world, as it is such an important piece of technology that it cannot be understated how important it is to use when cultivating crops. Religious values also start to emerge, but it is quite different from the past, or is it quite similar? Well, it is actually quite similar, as we see that the Paleolithic people and religion was also in fertility. Similar to the Neolithic religion and the wealthy Paleolithic people and religion, they both shared an interest in fertility, but we also see birth, growth, and death, and regenerated life be a part of Neolithic religion. Deities were associated with cycles of life, death, and regeneration. An example is that a pregnant goddess of vegetation represented Neolithic hopes for fertility in the fields. The Neolithic Revolution and was so essential in creating this idea of fertility and making sure that people valued all these important ideas, such as the calendar, which is part of Neolithic culture, and fertility. People valued fertility so much in Neolithic religion and culture. As they depended on these fertility in the fields and for their crops to grow successful to make a great harvest. Neolithic religions reflected the natural world in early agricultural society. And this is where we leave off with the origins of urban life before we delve straight into period two of world history. We see an eventual dense population with specialized labor and complex societal relations that caused the rise of new social organization, the city. There's a main difference between the city, the city and the village. This is because cities were much larger and complex than the towns and villages. Cities decisively influenced the political, economic, and cultural life of large regions. Cities had more intense specialization with governance, professional, cultural specialists. They had marketplaces that attracted buyers and sellers and merchants from distant places. They had centers of political and military control and exerted areas of economic influence. And some early known cities grew out of agricultural valleys of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in modern-day Iraq. 
and was also seen later in Egypt, North India, North China, Central Mexico, and Central Andean South America. And this is where we leave off, folks, with the River Valley civilizations being mentioned as parts of the origins of urban life. I hope you enjoy this episode of world history. And as we got to bask and take this wonderful journey in human history and really immerse ourselves in the subject and the awe of what humans were able to achieve through the Neolithic revolution and job specialization, food surplus, and these wonderful free craft industries and so much more that needs to be talked about. But we will do that on a separate occasion when we get to regional history and specialization in history. And the next episode, we will get into the classical river civilizations. Well, they're just the river civilizations. We haven't got to the classical era yet, of course. That is for a different period in world history. But they are both in period two, just one is the latter. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you all next time on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed, and apologies for any little error I have made in the audio. I am still quite new to this, so, and I am still looking to find a mic, a better mic. And, I well, I hope... You all have a wonderful day, and I will see you next time on the podcast. The Paleolithic Era, the Old Stone Age. The main characteristic of this era is that humans forage for their food as they hunted wild animals and gathered natural plants. The economy was quite different compared to modern times. There was no private property, and social classes were based off of wealth. Mobility made the idea of private property have no meaning. Society was egalitarian, which means that women and men were equal, as women and men contributed equally to their bands, which consisted of 30 to 50 members. Women gathered nuts and berries, which sustained men's diet on hunting trips. Then the men brought back meat that was hunted. Social distinctions were still in place as some members of the band became influential. This is because of their age, their strength, intelligence, and fertility. And with hunting, we also get to see the Homo sapiens use bow and arrows, spears, and sharp knives to hunt for big game animals, such as mastodons, elephants, and bison. I also want to point out that more of the nuts and berries that the women gathered contributed more to the diets of the Homo sapiens during this time period than the meat. Now we're going to be discussing the settlements in the Paleolithic era, which include the Natufian society from 13,500 BCE founded in the Eastern Mediterranean, the Joman society in Central Japan, 10,000 to 300 BCE, and the Chinook Society in the Pacific Northwest region of North America. These are just three prominent Paleolithic settlements. 
and the Chinook had permanent dwellings, such as longhouses seen with the Native Americans, that could accommodate several hundred people, but they were actually much more often seen as small structures used for individual families. As we move on with Paleolithic culture and Neanderthals, the Neanderthal is the earliest evidence we have of reflective thought. This was seen with their carefully deliberate burial accompaniment by ritual observances. This showed that Neanderthals recognized significance in life and the death of individuals, and the creativity of Homo sapiens was also seen in this era, as their creativity came from their intelligence and ability to make languages complex, complex ideas. Some examples of their creativity being utilized is through necklaces, stone blades, cave paintings, and sharp tools. Venus figurines also became a very important icon of prehistory, as they are the most visually impressive creation of early Homo sapiens, as they were believed to represent a deep interest in fertility. And fertility is a very, very important theme in culture and prehistorical culture, as humans really valued the fertility of a woman. Cave paintings. This is the best example of prehistoric art. The best cave art was seen from southern France and northern Spain, and it reflected artists' interests in successful hunting expeditions, and also were efforts to exercise sympathetic magic, and it could also represent and be a reason for the creation of these cave paintings was that they represented consciousness and a purposeful activity or a higher order. And one very important fun fact I want to discuss is that one cave painting was actually found by a little boy playing around in one of these European countries. I can't exactly recall the country on the tip of my tongue. It was either France, I believe it was France or Spain, as we just previously mentioned. But it was just a very cool fascination that just amazed me when I heard this wonderful story. Migration is the movement of people, and as we previously just discussed, Homo erectus moved from Central Africa towards Northern Africa and Eurasia, but with Homo sapiens and their intelligence, it was quite different, and their migration story is seen on a much grander scale compared to Homo erectus. This was because of their very, very important intelligence and language, which enabled the Homo sapiens to adapt to a range of environmental conditions and to establish the species throughout the world. And some prime examples of the intelligence and language allowing Homo sapiens to adapt to a range of environmental conditions would be they could go into colder regions and create warm clothes from animal skins and build effective shelters from the cold. They needed their intelligence to do that, and it was quite different from Australopithecus, definitely, as their intelligence enabled them 
to make these adaptations necessary for survival. Now we'll go through a short timeline of the peopling and migration of the Homo sapiens. A hundred thousand years ago, Homo sapiens spread throughout Africa, Asia, and Europe, or Afro-Eurasia. 65 to 50,000 years ago, we get to see the Homo sapiens spread into Indonesia, New Guinea, and Australia. This was because of the lowering of sea levels and exposed land bridges. And then 65,000 years ago, also in that previous time period we discussed, we specifically see them arrive in Africa. But then we see in 25,000 years ago, the Homo sapiens begin to cross over the Bering Land Bridge, or which connected Siberia and Alaska. This was also 25,000 years ago. 15,000 years ago, we get to see the Homo sapiens be fully established in almost every habitable region of the world. As humans migrated, animals also migrated. Some species tagged along with humans, such as rats and roaches, and other organisms were intentionally transported, such as dogs, horses, and plants by humans. Homo sapiens are the only independent organism to make a home throughout the world. As the population of Homo sapiens increased, large mammal species in several parts of the world became extinct. For example, mammoths and the woolly rhinoceros in Europe, then numeric because we see the mammoths, mastodons, and horses start to become extinct as well. This is because the more humans that exist, the population of their prey or their food are going to start to go down. Prehistory is defined as the period of time before written records. This time period is usually regarded between the beginning of time till 3200 BCE. Hominids, a very, very important family when understanding world history and human history, as they lead up towards modern humans and civilized society and get a better understanding and knowledge of our ancestors' history is the family of human and human-like species. The hominid family includes Homo sapiens, the modern human, also human ancestors such as Homo erectus, Australopithecus, and Lucy, which all belong to this group. Four million to one million years ago, we get to see Australopithecus, the southern ape, begin to flourish in Africa. They are much smaller in physical appearance, brain size, and in intelligence compared to modern humans, as they were slightly over a meter tall and weighed from 55 to 121 pounds. Their brain size was 500 cubic centimeters, which was 900 cubic centimeters less than modern humans. But like modern humans, they walked upright in two legs, allowing them to utilize their arms independently for other tasks and had opposable thumbs, which allowed them to grasp tools and perform intricate operations. But unlike modern humans, their speech was quite limited. Australopithecus traveled deliberately over 15 kilometers to obtain certain kinds of stone required to build their stone tools. And with these tools, they built scrapers, choppers, and other tools used for food preparation. Homo erectus 
is the upright walking human, as we fast forward 2 million to 200,000 years ago as they flourished in Africa as well. Their brain was twice as big compared to Australopithecus. It was 1,000 cubic centimeters. They were quite intelligent as they made much more sophisticated tools such as cleavers and hand axes, which allowed them to protect themselves against natural predators. They learned to make and start fires, which allowed them to defend themselves against large animals, produce artificial heat and a light source as well. And the most important is to cook food. They also were able to communicate complex ideas, such as congregating, collecting food, and they went to certain sites and got meat from small animals they hunted and the nuts and plants they gathered. They were able to organize their activities and communicate plans for obtaining and distributing food, but still their speech was quite limited as well. Then we get to see a migration occur as the combination of effective tools, intelligence, and communication abilities enabled Homo erectus to gain increased control over the natural environment and introduce the human species into widely scattered regions. Homo erectus migrated to North Africa and Eurasia straight from Central Africa. Two million years ago, Homo erectus moved into Southwest Asia and Europe, South Asia, East Asia, and Southeast Asia. 200,000 years ago, they established themselves throughout the temperate zones of the Eastern Hemisphere. And now, drumroll, we get to Homo sapiens, the modern human, the consciously thinking human, where they evolved 200,000 years ago and adapted to the natural environment. They had a bigger brain than the Homo erectus which was more developed in the frontal regions where reflective thought took place, which was the physical advantage that Homo sapiens had over other species. They had a brain size of 1,400 cubic centimeters, 400 more than Homo erectus and over 900 more compared to Australopithecus. The intelligence of the Homo sapiens allowed them to thrive the natural contest of survival. The intelligence of the Homo sapiens also allowed these individuals to understand the structure of the world around them and organize more efficient methods of exploiting natural resources, cooperate and communicate better on so much more complex tasks. And they were also much taller and weighed a little bit more than Homo erectus and definitely much more than their ancestor, the Australopithecus. Hello everyone, please put the volume quality on low for the best listening experience, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Peace out. Greetings everyone, welcome to the first ever episode of the History, Culture, and Politics podcast show. In today's segment, we'll be covering the historical part of the show and begin with the beginnings of mankind, with prehistory and the Neolithic Revolution on a historical journey. This is World History, Episode 1, Prehistory and the Neolithic Revolution. <laughs> 